0: Welcome to the Red Dove Podcast. We are female storytellers and our stories center on Black women, activism, and mental health. I'm Rainey.
1: And I'm Liz. And tonight we're going to tell the story of Elaine Brown. Dun, dun, dun. Dun! This is a story that we have carried for over a year now, uh, working on it. She definitely was on like our original list when we created this show and this is like a big night for us. We're finally sharing the story, but right off the bat, major source material for tonight's episode is A Taste of Power, A Black Woman's Story by Elaine Brown. And of course, you know it. We got our copy at Harriet's Bookshop. That's Harriet's with two Ts, And if you're in the Philadelphia area during the month of February and March. She's putting on trolley tours right now where they'll take you to three different black owned businesses in Philadelphia. One of them is Yowie, which just got here and people are really excited. If you wanna check out for more information, you can go to Bookshop.com. You can also follow her on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. she puts the updates on there. We should put a trigger warning before we begin, yes, trigger warning this story contains content depicting violence, rape, domestic abuse, murder. Is that yeah? I think that's you feel good. That yeah. Okay. Yeah. Elaine Brown, you know, she was uh, born March 2nd, coming up. Happy birthday almost. 1943 in da, 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 Philadelphia
0: oh I love it we're like focusing in on Philly now we were like all about California for a couple weeks now we're like Philly Abbott Elementary and now Elaine Brown
1: <laughs> uh, well don't get too excited because eventually it's all California <laughs> <laughs> she lives there with her mom Dor- Dorothy Clark it's in North Philly which Elaine described as like a mostly white neighborhood. Elaine described it as like a a large Jewish population. And at other times she commented on how little interactions with black people she had. On the other hand, she also had some very close friends that were also black women. I wasn't sure. Am I correct? She's an only child.
0: Yeah. She was an only child. And yeah, her mom made a lot of sacrifices from the reading for for her to be in those environments. You know, actually, I kind of related a lot to those stories because I grew up in m- predominantly white schools and, and white neighbor. Well, I we lived in more predominantly white neighborhoods too. But you know, I I remember my parents kind of went through that same struggle, right? Like, do you put your kids in the schools that you know they're not going to get the best education? Or do you strive to put them in and kind of let them be, you know, the odd man out, but also make sure that they have a good education and see if they can triumph that way instead, you know? And it's kind of a, I think that's a hard decision for parents to make, right? Like her mom definitely made quite a lot of sacrifices to do that with Elaine.
1: And one of the things that like stood out to me is like over and over again, just how very clear it is that Elaine was, I don't wanna say gifted and talented. That's how she describes it. Very intelligent, so much so that she was admitted into a school in Philadelphia for the gifted and talented. And then she graduated from Philadelphia High School for girls, which is also like a really good school at the time to get into. And then she, I forgot what she went on to study She went to Temple, she went to Temple University after graduating high school. I wanna say it's like, it's not accounting, but it was like something that Dorothy wanted Elaine to study in terms of like using the degree to get a good paying job. And they were both pretty much like in tandem with this idea and Elaine tries it for a second. But the other thing about Elaine although like the gifted and talented, the other, well, the other thing that she's passionate about was writing poetry and songs. Uh-huh. So she ends up, she doesn't stay at Temple, she ends up leaving Temple and moving to Los Angeles to write songs, which was quite, I remember reading this, like it was, you know, it was the breaking away point from Dorothy, and I am also an only child that was raised by a single mom. So it's like, I do understand like that moment when maybe you're an adult and like you, you're you just starting to like have different opinions and the breaking away. But it's like, it is intense because it's been the two of you for so long. And I remember reading it. It was like, it was very torturous. Like Dorothy was very upset. With Elaine for making that decision. And like up until this point, Elaine's like, for the most part, like, you know, she has stayed within the safe bubble that Dorothy has like created in Philadelphia. So it's like a super like neighborhoody kind of environment. She goes to Temple, which, if you're not familiar, Temple University is in Philadelphia. So this is a big deal.
0: Her mom doted on her you know probably even more so than doted i mean you know probably not the healthiest of attachment styles you know but y- y- you could yeah. tell you know the mom kind of put all of her hopes and dreams onto elaine which i'd imagine was probably a lot of pressure too mm-hmm. you know like that that was a lot of pressure for elaine to carry all of these hopes of her fam of her mom you know not just the regular hopes of a mom, but, you know, a black mom living in poverty and, you know, busting her ass to put Elaine through all of these things, you know, to help hopefully get her out of these situations. I mean, I'd imagine it would have been a lot of pressure watching your mom working these jobs and struggling to give you all the things she did not have and and doing it by herself.
1: Yeah. It's like a lot of control but they do i mean dorothy does come out and eventually visit Elaine. but this was just one of those moments you know early 20s you're in your early 20s and going across country at this time especially from that neighborhood that's a big deal huh. initially she lives in west hollywood we uh, love it there <laughs> this is and then she gets the job as a cocktail waitress at pink pussycat
0: I wonder what kind of a, what kind of bar that was.
1: I don't even think bar is the right word. (laughs) At that time they called them what cocktail lounges. Mm -hmm. I'm imagining really dark lighting. And I was so pissed off because the owners, they sexualized the waitresses. They gave them these like skimpy, outfits let me see I'm re I'm looking at Elaine's book there was strippers on stage and scantily clad cocktail waitresses it wasn't
0: it it was a strip club right
1: yeah it was a strip club but well at the time it was she said that it was the hottest spot in West Hollywood and she was really struggling financially and then all of a sudden you know she's making a lot of money she says a nearly 100 dollars a night in tips this was in 1965 which would have been a lot but then like it's like the cd underside the owners instructed all the cocktail waitresses that if any of the customers wanted to have sex with them to just like go with them and you know like that kind of thing it was very Ugh. it didn't feel like Elaine, like it wasn't some, it was, she felt like it was something forced on her, not something like she agreed to do, right. I guess. But it was, she's was very exciting. you in your 20s, 1965, West Hollywood.
0: I mean, you're kind of right in the thick of things. And,
1: you know, and that's the
0: thing that sucks. I mean, you know, I'm all for sex work, right? Like it's the oldest profession. Do you? I I am not a fan of the oversight and you know how people take advantage of people who who do that, right? Like, and you know, you see so many young women are exploited by that instead of being able to
1: take ownership of it, you know, like Elaine. And then that one night enter Frank Sinatra. Right? Oh my God. I totally did not know this. This was bananas. Frank shows up with a bunch of his friends, gets a private table at the lounge and one of the guests one of frank sinatra's guests well and again all right let's get let's get through this his, what was his name his name was jack but he asked like everybody call him jay kennedy right um hmm? jay kennedy right yes owner of the sands casino in las vegas and at the time he was 33 years old white guy. And again, like, I didn't like this, but he instructs or like tells somebody to tell her Elaine to come to their table. Right. Kind of using
0: his power to summon another human being because he it's a power dynamic, right? Like he has all of this money being this white man in the 1960s that he can just be like, yeah, you come over here. Because, I mean, what is she going to do? She, You know, they know the deal at that place like this, right? Like, <laughs> you know the gonna, deal. You <laughs> can't say no. She's not going to say no. The power dynamic is too skewed.
1: And that's the other thing that was mentioned. He's 33. So she's 23. He's 33. What's up? That was so crazy. She describes the night where she goes back to Frank Sinatra's hotel suite and, like, spends the whole night with Jay. And she starts to describe how... Jay's teaching her about the black movement. Well, yeah, cuz she had said before and when you read through
0: the book that uh, she was around predominantly white people, you know, by by design. That was a design by her mother because she wanted the best education and in the 60s the best education was where the white kids went, right? Like going to an all black school, she wasn't going to get the kind of education that she'd get at these experimental schools and, you know, um, heavily Jewish population, I believe uh, where she was at too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But like, so, you know, she just, you know, if that's how you grow up, that's, you know, you kind of end up where you do have a lot of white people around you, because that's just, that's just where you're at in life. Right. Like I was the same way when I went to predominantly white schools, you know, most of my friends were white because that's, that's all I knew.
1: And he kind of sweeps her off her feet for like a lot of money and like showering her with gifts. I guess now we'd call it love bombing. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's traveling back and forth. He organizes one of the civil rights protest marches. But he's like routinely going back and forth from California to New York. And Elaine falls really hard in love with Jay. I would say this is the first love of her life, but he's married. Classy. Like,
0: you know, which again, that dynamic, right? She's this young 20 something year old, you know, the power dynamic is there. He's older than her. He has a lot more money, a lot more influence. So he can kind of take advantage of that, you know, being her being young and naive and, and, you know, just wanting to be loved. And he's this grown man who is, you know, cheating on his wife with her and you know making her feel super special but you know like i i think it's i personally think it's kind of predatory
1: yeah he was promising to marry elaine but i'm glad she got away she ends up working at ucla so this is like her like her growth montage like she quits the job at the pink pussycat in west hollywood and ends up working in at UCLA. And that's where Elaine is introduced to the Black Congress. This is Elaine describing it. She says it was an umbrella group made up of virtually every Black organization in the area. It was administered by an executive committee composed of a representative of each member organization. The Black Congress was the expression of a collective desire to emphasize the common will and serve the common interests of Black people. Love it. I love it. That's awesome, and that's where she meets Sandra Scott, and this was like one of Elaine's early friends. And this is a this is Elaine. She describes Sandra as a beacon of black womanhood as I entered the maelstrom called the '60s, and she starts developing a lot of good friendships. This is I was so happy for her because the Jay stuff. I mean, she like ugly cries. She gets in a fight with her mom. She's devastated. And it was so cool to see her kind of walk into the situation and not being afraid to go, like, to to go make new friends in a new area, new job, but it's working out. And she starts writing for the Black Congress's newspaper and writing poems and songs, she says, about Black men, Black people, and they like the song so much, eventually – they started recording her and like putting it out and they would play it at rallies. It was like eventually, eventually, some of her songs, the Black Panthers were like calling it like this their song, so to speak. So she's probably like fucking euphoric. I mean, that's what she wanted to do. She wanted to write poetry. She wanted to write songs and she's doing it.
0: And to write it for such an organization that is doing so much for someone who looks like you, you know, and to kind of be this rallying cry for you know, such an important organization. I'm sure that must've felt like amazing.
1: And then in between all of that, like she would spend her nights either at rallies or meeting with different other organizations. Super busy. Enter Angela Davis. Ah, what a cool okay. time this was. <laughs> I know, right? So like, really, yeah, 1966
0: the fashion oh my gosh look at the pictures and the hair She sort
1: of just elaine just casually drops this in she's like yeah we went to an apartment afterwards about 10 of us and she like rattles off all these names and like in the middle that it's like angela davis like what a time to be alive
0: (laughs) to just casually name drop angela davis
1: (laughs) no they like a small like impromptu after after trying to change the world right we go to the after party where are
0: these after parties happening now in 2022? I want an invite. <laughs> I want to go.
1: <laughs> Contact reading at the podcast at gmail.com. They are going on. Yeah, we just need to get in on them. Or we need to start them. Ooh, even better. Yeah, great. <laughs> but that's also at that gathering with Angela Davis. That's also where Elaine meets. Bunchy, Al apprentice Bunchy Carter. And he is the founder of the Black Panther Party's Southern California chapter. We could do, like, a separate, like, bonus. Like, he has a whole origin story. Like, he's, like, from California, born and raised. Mm -hmm. And involved in a lot of different types of groups before being offered to be, like, you know, a founder of this new party. I guess we could do a whole side story on on Bunchy.
0: Ooh, I like it.
1: After that, this is kind of right before Elaine joins the Black Panthers. She was at a free Huey Newton rally. Oh, and Snick comes up, SNCC. We're going to cover them in detail when we do Fannie Lou Hammer. But that's where, she, where Elaine meets Eldridge Cleaver, who... He was, what was his title? The Minister of Information uh, of the Black Panther Party. I believe so. Let me, let and at this time, Elaine meets him. Like he's, he's relatively well-known and it's a higher position. So he's fairly well-known. And people were like, oh my gosh, Eldridge is here. And then he's like, oh, it's okay, Bunchy. I'll drive Elaine home he said that he was really interested in her poetry and, you know, he'd be interested in like, you know, having it able to be distributed more throughout the party. And like Elaine is so excited and she's like, yeah, this is again, before phones, right. She's like, yeah, I left my poem at home though. It's not like I have it on my phone. I can just pull it up. So he drives her back to her house and like, she's showing her poem and then Dorothy walks out, because at that point, after Elaine breaks up with Jay, eventually Dorothy comes out, moves out to uh, California and live with Elaine. And as soon as Aldridge sees Dorothy, which she says, Elaine says, when he realized that my mother lived with me, he, he asked if I would like to go somewhere else with him. He read the poem over almost 10 times before we left and praised it. And me profusely. And then she says, after a bit of a debate, we ended up at a motel. He smoked some marijuana and forcefully made love to me. And it goes on from there. But needless to say, Eldridge is one bad dude. And not, like, bad in the good way. No, he's a creep. And also, like, obviously, you know, it's like the influence of power, you know, and using her...
0: Talking about her poems. But, you know, so many women are victimized by that and that power. And, and again, that's something we don't talk enough about, right? Like, to be truly honest, right, about these stories, we have to look at everything, right? Like, you know, the Black Panther Party as a whole was great, but you also had some individuals, like all organizations, which, you know, I think that so many times, like, especially the right, We'll try to use one person who's done something wrong as like a an indictment of the entire system. But you know, you have these people who are part of these great organizations who aren't great.
1: And 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 that happens. Well, like you you said you black people are not a monolith. Right.
0: Absolutely not. And and you know, we shouldn't be afraid to tell all of those stories because you know, they're they're all human stories, you know, and, and it would do a disservice. To Elaine's story, to
1: not go there. It's also it's the 1960s. It's not a cult, but it is an isolating group of human beings with a hi- patriarchal hierarchy um, system, and it's a it, this is a great story of humans are human beings, and power corrupts. Absolutely. Despite yeah. what the system, you know, this isn't, who's the guy with the Kool-Aid that killed all of his followers. Right. I forget, yeah. but it's a, it's, it's human. What Eldridge did and just totally using his power and influence and as a party member over her.
0: Well, cause it's not about sex for people like that. It's about asserting your power and your will over someone who can't fight back who, you know, you have some sort of imbalance of power, either real or perceived that you can assert your power over someone else. And people like him are those, you know, horrible, awful type of men who, who feel like it's acceptable to take advantage of someone like that. Like, you know, they are, and it it just, it sucks. And it's, it's awful that, you know, women are, are still dealing with that and still facing that you know, but again, not talking about it doesn't help, right? So talking about it and calling them out, you know, like, doesn't matter who it is, you do that, then, you know, we, we talk about that, too.
1: Right. I do like how Elaine, it, it's a lot of survival skills, because despite that, Elaine continues um, her involvement and passion with the movement, and She describes, uh, when the force of the free healing movement erupted in 1968, I was driven to decide whether to be part of the problem or part of the solution. I joined the Black Panther Party. Love it. I love that. And she like goes, it's so cute. I remember she goes in to open the door, to walk through the threshold, so to speak, like her first meeting. And who opens the door? Erica Huggins. Erica Huggins, um, she's married to John Huggins. John was a captain of the Southern California chapter. And Erica was one of the few women leaders at the party of that time. She was a the cap, well, still captain of the women, but still leadership position. Right. And Erica and Elaine become very close friends. John was actually born in Connecticut. He was born in New Haven, Connecticut. And Erica was born in Washington, D.C., but they both met at college. They, were, uh, they went to Lincoln University. That's in Pennsylvania. Huh. And fun fact, Erica holds a master's degree in sociology. Huh. And so then like, I know, right? So then after that, after education, after Pennsylvania, John and Erica, they moved to Los Angeles. And that's when they became deeply involved in the Black Panther Party. Super cool. If you don't know about them, I like, recommend check them out. Um, in fact, I think later on, Erica goes back to run the New Haven, Connecticut Black Panther party. But I'm getting ahead of myself. It might be worth it to do one on her one day.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: we could give the director's cut version. We could do a whole little side story. I like it. Okay. Like where Erica ends up from like from there to like present day. Right. But today, Elaine but so, 1969, Elaine helps create the Black Panther Party's Free Busing to Prisons Program, Free Legal Aid Program, and the Free Breakfast for Children Program in LA.
0: Which was wildly, wildly popular.
1: I love this. And we this is still going on today in some areas, including LA, but... It's so radical and nonviolent, and returning the community to community. Elaine described it this way: The success of the Panther free breakfast program inspired numerous other party service programs for the poor, including distribution of free food and the establishment of free health of a free health care clinic. These programs, as much as Panther Guns, triggered J. Edgar Hoover's targeting of the party for the most massive and violent fbi assault ever committed end quote oh man i mean that was, oh, that was his thing right like
0: any whiff of anything that wasn't what he liked and you were blacklisted
1: this remind me like if we all remember when we go back and listen to our six-part episode of ida B. wells we know that the before the FBI was the FBI, whatever they were calling themselves during the Ida's time, they did the same shit to her. They trailed her, they reported on her, they were very concerned about Ida trying to help black people. And then we saw it again with Lorraine Hainsbury in the fifties with the Harlem Renaissance. So this is not being new. No, Invite sure. some leaders of the Black Lives Matter group 2020 reported um similar tactics so this is nothing new so but yeah buckle up fbi time all right let's do this so this is um this is from elaine she says hoover had proclaimed the black panther party is the single greatest threat to the internal security of the united states oh my god just
0: isn't that funny how antsy they get when black people become self-sufficient and how they treat it like it is some sort of threat.
1: But yeah, those terrorists giving up free
0: food, those monsters. Oh my God, did you did you see them, you know, taking care of each other and not needing the, our government because they have figured it out and they're doing great in their community? No, people like them too much. This is not okay.
1: And how the playbook of words have changed so little. This is Elaine Brown. Hoover's insidious lifelong crusade to cross the communists' threat to the american way of life had exploded into a declaration of war hoover would show americans the ultimate price to be paid for dissidents by bringing down on the black panthers the full force of the fbi and its subservient institutions damn yikes Might drop <laughs> i would say also this is like a time with elaine where she starts to develop some real friendships and relationships with almost exclusively Black people her age. And you see her really starting to develop confidence and self-confidence. And she really seems to be loving where she is in life and what she's doing with her time. And about October 1968, John and Erica welcomed their, their daughter, Mai, into the world. And in 1969, in January, so like two, like two, three months later, John, uh, along with Bunchy Carter, were assassinated during the meeting of the Black Student Union at UCLA's Campbell Hall. Wow. Following that, Fred Hampton would be assassinated later in 1969. These murders were fueled by what we now know as Contel Pro, Contel Pro is an illegal FBI program at the time that aimed at surveilling, infiltrating, discrediting, and disrupting groups that the FBI deemed "quote subversive," and that in the lines black, everybody, yeah, uh, Black Panther definitely right at the bullseye. They also deemed subversive feminist organizations, the Communist Party USA, anti-Vietnam War organizers, activists of the Civil Rights Movement and members of the Black Power Movement, environmentalist groups, animal rights groups, the American Indian Movement, independence movements, which included the Puerto Rican independence groups, as well as right-wing groups like the KKK and the National States Rights Party. See, I was like, for a second, I was going to be like, okay, so they kind
0: of sound like all those people who fly those don't tread on me flags, but then you, you said those last
1: two, and I was like, oh, okay, so I'm a little confused about what, like, they, they, they throw, throw that in there to, like, throw us off, They're like, they right? They're
0: like, no, 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 but we're not racist, because see,
1: here we go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and they, they'll, they'll, they'll phrase it, the FBI, they'll phrase it as, um, you know, anything Anti-American, i.e. our racist economic system that we call capitalism. How, How can you that above all
0: Americans us? be
1: anti-America? <laughs> like, they're uber-American. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm like, I'll tell you who's anti-American, all 10 of you. Because the, the 99% rest of us are as American as fuck.
0: It, it doesn't get more American than us. We are America.
1: This an Elaine Brown, she said this quote, it would take 10 years to prove that the assassination by state police was orchestrated by the FBI under J. Edgar Hoover and under Hoover's directive to, quote, stop the rise of a black messiah, end quote.
0: Oh, man, what a peach. What a peach Hoover was.
1: Totally illegal. And similar tactics still used today. America. We're
0: great. It's just fine. It's all fine.
1: And Elaine on a personal level, and these are my words, it's extremely traumatic reading it from her perspective. These like Erica was I I'm gonna say is her best friend. Yeah. You know, so Erica and, and so for Erica to lose her husband right after giving birth. Erica ends up moving back to Connecticut and she actually has John's ashes buried, I was going to say disposed of, but buried in uh, Connecticut. And that I think that's when she takes over as the leader of the New Haven, Connecticut party. And Elaine will go out there routinely and work with Erica and some other amazing women uh, for the New Haven chapter of the Black Panther Party. Uh, but Bunchy also, he... Um, he worked with Elaine a lot. So it's a massive unrest after all this happens. Um, there's a lot of protests and a lot of anger. So, initially, with John and Bunchy, it was reported that the person reportedly who shot them was a member of US Organization, which is another Black Power movement at the time. And what comes to light like Elaine says, 10 years later it's like the FBI was fucking with them. They call it psychological warfare. And they were purposefully trying to pit the groups against each other. Yeah. Um, just trying to cause chaos and destruction. Right. I love that our tax dollars
0: go to stuff like that.
1: And then Elaine described like after the funeral of Bunchy and John, she said that the next few months were devoted to rebuilding. They had to find new housing, and she ends up moving in with Evan Carter, who was Bunchy's wife and was six months pregnant with his baby. So they sold the party newspapers uh, and continued to distribute food, the UCLA food, and that's at the point where they finally uh, formalized a legal defense program. Amazing, right? You're not going to stop the movement, especially when it's decentralized in a certain type, sort of way, like you can't kill us because we're all that. that. And they ended up finding a new rent free facility for their uh, free breakfast for children program in LA. They organized rallies around police brutality against uh, African Americans. And Elaine's songwriting also is getting more noticed from more and more people in the Black Panthers movement. And she was asked to compose the Black Panther Party's anthem, which she did, and they produced and distributed an entire album of hers that was um, all used during the rallies and considered the Black Panther album. Check it out, it's on YouTube, I saw it. So I just realized, I don't know
0: how long I was on mute, but I've been talking and like... (laughs) interjecting and I was like oh I guess she didn't like that all right never mind
1: moving on thank you rainy yeah no. quiet you <laughs> pipe down and that's when the show would end I <laughs> forever I, know, right? I was
0: like I I guess she's really not digging my commentary <laughs> and then I was like oh I'm a dumbass <laughs> oh what an age we live in
1: <laughs> do you want to say anything I can't remember where I muted myself. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> that's a lot of the positive rebuilding. There's some people and again, it's very hard to tell what's the truth and fiction, especially with the FBI. But this is also in Elaine's memoir. So, Erica and several members of the Black Panther Party New Haven chapter, including the co-founder Bobby Seale, were allegedly tortured and murdered uh, another member of the New Haven Black Panther Party members, a man by the name of Alex Rackley, um, who there may or may not have been allegations that Rackley was quote unquote a snitch, an FBI informant, Wow. Whatever the truth is, Erica ends up going on trial. She's charged with murder, kidnapping, and conspiracy. Oh. She she and Bobby Seal, yeah. This is like what six months after John's death, and she's a newborn. Wow, they just
0: like do not let up.
1: So that trial sparked protests across the country, and Elaine, of course, is involved in organizing or she's one of the people involved in organizing them. And people were very concerned that Erica would not receive a fair trial. Uh, Luckily, in May 1971, the jury deadlocked 10 to 2 for Erica. She was acquitted and she was never retried.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. So this is like director's cut coming up. Like, we'll do a quick side tour into Ms. Erica Huggins, like, no. Yeah, Huggins, right, why? Yeah, Huggins, why am I doubting myself? Anyway, okay, Um, into Ms. Erica Huggins, the rest of her story. So Elaine is steadily getting more and more involved and progressing up the hierarchical ladder system structure of the Black Panther Party. Um, start giving more and more responsibilities and organizing and leading things. Do you remember the story? There was like a white movie actress because at this time in Hollywood, a lot of white actors and actresses would secretly donate money to Black Panther Party. Uh-huh. And Jay Edgar Hoover, who literally had too much time on his hands, tried to blackmail one of them, a woman. A white woman um, movie actress saying that she was having an affair with David Hillard, who is, again, like another member of the Black Panther Party. He and Elaine end up, you know, working a lot on a lot of different projects. David Hillard and Elaine around this time, Elaine has her first and only child. Fun fact, who she names, Erica. Oh, I like that. Right. So as like she's progressing up and up, who does Elaine run into again, the bad dude Eldridge Cleaver? He was creating quite a divide within the Black Panther Party. And Elaine wasn't really, didn't really like a lot of the things that he was saying. During the plane ride, it's just him and Elaine in the plane. They're going all over these countries because Eldridge was about to announce an international section of the party they they flew to moscow and eldridge he he asks elaine to assassinate david
0: oh my god what a
1: request <laughs> and, and i doubt it was a request right it was more of like you're gonna do this in fact it's you're gonna do this or he said he would kill her and bury her in some on mark grave in russia and that was it I'd be like why don't you just do it but it's like yes it's and you know it's just you and him in this room or on this plane and he's really pressuring her you know if you don't do this you're not for the revolution
0: just just bs just more power moves
1: this is like and they're like drinking and like eating together and this is like super fucked up and abusive he says all you have to do is sound the alarm to it because you love me what the fuck Take a 45 or something, walk into national headquarters and put it to David's head. Tell the motherfucker you've come with a message from me. I'm taking back the Black Panther Party in the name of the true revolutionaries. And don't worry, I've got backup for you. Brothers waiting for the word from me. Um, if you're going to do it, then go do it yourself, you coward. Really fucking with like her head and threatening to kill her
0: right. and
1: because you're, you're in a position of power. She does say, like, you've got to be kidding. And then he's, like, starting to drink more, and then he's getting really, really fucking angry. He goes, I picked you, he had shouted furiously. I picked you to take care of this. You are the perfect candidate, a woman that everybody in the party knows and that everybody knows loves me, just like I know it. The fucking anthem is my song. Stop acting up and let your love come down, he said with a chuckle. Ew hate him yeah ew. ew like like how slimy Ugh, hate it he goes you won't get back bitch unless you do what i say do you actually think i'd let you walk away from here and mess up the cha-cha huh. if you don't want to work with me it's simple i'll bury your ass in algiers i've got a burial ground there you know i've put two n words in the ground already and nobody here gives a fuck I do as I please. It ain't Cuba. I got AK-47s and 20 N-words, and I will put your ass in the fucking ground.
0: Then go do it yourself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: i that's what I would be, I don't know if I were to <laughs> be like, um, you keep bragging about all these people you have who will kill for you, then like, cut the middleman out and go do that yourself. Like, ugh.
1: And then, like, she goes on, like, I think they end up they find a korea and she says our hotel was actually a charming place and it's like how are you so cool and calm after being threatened or is it like the sign of like abuse that
0: she's used to it i mean you know she has had you know kind of abusive relationships
1: and then like from north korea eldridge takes her to beijing china for more meetings high-powered meetings and then this is Elaine she says I put on my happy diplomatic face and found that Beijing in early autumn was not too burdensome and she said earlier she had I've been gone for my baby for over two months oh my god it's like, it's like isolation yeah and like fear of like if you don't kill David I'm gonna kill you shit and also thinking
0: about the safety of her child, too, right? Like, who's going to be there for your child if you're not?
1: Well, yeah, it's like also showing the um, manipulation tactics, right? Right.
0: That's how, you know, they do that. They, they get to people. I mean, you know,
1: she has a history of abuse. She describes it as being held captive. And she was never sure she was really going to be able to escape. And just all day, she just typed up things that he wanted typed up and just like kept doing her job despite feeling like a prisoner um he took their passports of course. so he li- she was a prisoner you can't get out
0: right that's ugh, it just makes me like angry for her
1: and at the same time while this is happening while they're there Huey Newton is released he is free and he calls Eldridge and long story short Elaine is on a plane from to Paris and then from Paris to New York and she's so funny Elaine says I forgot my fear of flying I had 11 hours between Paris and New York to contemplate what lay before me. She felt like she was free and she, she's like also coming from China and then she gets into America and sees like the the freedom sign and she describes this as like basically this is the moment where she escapes Eldridge and lands back in New York. She says, our feet had barely touched the terminal floor when we were snatched up by unknown officials, men in suits, perhaps custom agents. And calling them a commie and questioning them for hours in the airport. Super nice. <laughs> Another day in the life. Right. They finally released her. And David's there and he's like blowing her kisses. And then standing next to David is Huey Newton. Oh. Huh? This is like her first time seeing Huey Newton in person. And this, this is a quote. This is Elaine. Before I could speak or my agent escorts could move, Huey Newton stepped across the forbidden bridge into limbo land, stopping time. He reached out his powerful arms and embraced me. I have lived to touch you, he said softly. My escorts were still immobilized. I've listened to your voice and your songs over and over in my prison cell and dreamed of you, he whispered into my ear, still holding me against his body. His breath was a kiss. Welcome home, comrade, is what she says. Wow. (laughs) Swoon. Right? (laughs) And this is um, Elaine Brown. She says, not long after he was freed from prison, I met him and came to think of him as my lover. And leader.
0: Ah, so so
1: whew, we're going to bookmark it right there. That's 1970. We're going to pick up Lane's life from 1970 until the present. All right. <laughs> Just, yeah. <Woo! laughs> until next time.